we're in this series called the Original Songs of Christmas. If you're here last week, you caught the big idea. Basically, we're going through the narrative in the book of Luke and going through four different songs, the original songs of Christmas that are sung in that narrative. And so this morning, we're going to be continuing in that series. And my hope in this whole thing is that we as a church would grow in our worship. I would love for us to be just a a family of worshipers, ones that really engage in authentic worship, because I would suggest that's what we're designed to be. Our DNA, our very fabric of the way God's wired us and created us was to be worshipers. And so we're going to have the opportunity to be stretched in our worship, because when our worship's out of tune, when our worship's out of tune, everything else around us seems to be not in a good spot. Take a look at this example. I don't know, I just had to share that. That cracked me up this week. The poor little angel, man, just breaking up everyone around them. And really, if we don't get our hearts in the right place, our lack of worship, maybe that was too much worship, uh, can really influence every facet of our life. Let me pray as we dive into this great passage. God, thank you so much for this chance to be in your house and to have some fun, even just enjoying kids this morning. Just so relevant considering we're celebrating the baby Jesus going into this season. I pray that you'd speak to us through this text, that you'd be great and I'd be small. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Turning with me, if you wouldn't mind, we're in Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to fast track us with a little background through the first half of chapter 1 that gives a little bit about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, and then we'll get ultimately to the song that he sings in response to the coming baby Jesus. A little background on Zechariah. He was an elderly priest and married to Elizabeth, who was a relative of Mary. Nice. Mary's relative. Uh, We learned about that last week when we looked at Mary's song. And uh, a couple interesting things about him. He was a a priest and functioned faithfully in his role within the, the temple, regardless of his disappointment in life, and his disappointment in life was he and his wife's inability to have children, something that was a, a real struggle we see even in that chapter that had been an ongoing prayer of his. Faithfully serving that chapter 1 verse 6 describes both of them as righteous before God, meaning that in the same way that someone is considered righteous before God still today, it was simply by faith in the coming Messiah that they were uh, Uh, that they were seen as righteous before God. So they were uh, believers in Jesus even before his arrival. One of the highlights of a Jewish priest, kind of the the Super Bowl of uh, priestdom, if that's such a thing, was was to have the opportunity to go in and add to the incense incense candle in the Holy of Holies. There was a candle that was, not a candle, uh, kind of an incense holder that was kept lit 24-7 all year round, and they rotated. They actually had different shifts of priests, 24 different groupings of priests that would serve just twice a year. 
And because of the amount of priests, only a select few, they actually chose them, you see it in the text, by lot. Only a select few had the opportunity to be the person that adds to the incense. And so up until this point, you learn just by church history that they only uh, a priest only did that one time, if at all, in their life. They never got a second opportunity. So this was a big deal. He was having the opportunity to go in up until this point. And this is a especially big deal because he's growing in age. Up until this point, much like many of us in gym class, he had never been picked. He had, he had never had his opportunity, so this was a huge deal. Finally gets to go in, and you've probably read the account yourself. He goes in and has a little bit of a surprise upon his arrival, meeting and encountering the angel Gabriel. And you remember what was the news that the angel Gabriel gave him in, uh, as he's trembling there before the angel says, Listen, your prayers have been answered. God has heard the cry of your heart. This should give hope for those of us that have been praying for something for a really long time. It says, your prayers have been answered. And how have they been answered? You and your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to a baby boy. Will give birth to a baby boy. And not just any boy. It's going to be the prophet, John the Baptist, that will pave the way for the coming Messiah. That's a lot to take in. Can you imagine? Can you imagine receiving that? Gabriel went through a few different specific instructions for him. He said, first off, which I already mentioned, that his name would be John. The baby's name would be John, which means Jehovah has shown grace. Isn't that such a cool uh, description of that name? Jehovah has shown grace. So that's his name. A couple other specific instructions. It says in uh, the first chapter, he will not drink wine or strong drink. This was part of the Nazarite vow, which is seen as a means to set someone apart. goes through a few other unique things about John that would be different than the average uh, person. One of the things that it points to is the fact that he would be filled with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, from birth. When you read through the Old Testament, you see different accounts of the Spirit coming upon people, leaving people. This was unique and probably why they, it also says that he would be known as great before the Lord because very, from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit would indwell him. Jesus affirmed this greatness in Luke 7, 28. He says, none is greater than John. Can you imagine having that compliment said about you? So this was all a lot of things to be taking in. The other thing that was interesting that he said to uh, Zechariah, that I'm talking about the angel Gabriel. Now, the, one of the other things he said was that he would operate in the power and spirit of Elijah. That's an interesting thing, an interesting statement. Upon first read, you're like, why would you say that? that that's a strange uh, uh, kind of a precursor. And the reason he said that wasn't just because Elijah was a great prophet, which he was. He said it in response to the very last words of the Old Testament. In Micah 4.5, take a look at this. This is really neat. Micah 4.5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So this is a fulfillment of the promise that was given before, after that was written, 400 years of silence. So this is the first time God is breaking the silence and saying, listen, I'm going to fulfill my promise through John 
to be, to be the representation of Elijah. So some pretty cool things happening. You imagine since, since Zechariah was a, a priest and a man of God and kind of grew up uh, serving within the church, he would have taken this news with excitement and passion. How does he respond, though? Anybody have an idea? He doubts. He asked the angel, listen to this. He asked the angel Gabriel to show him a sign. As if the angel Gabriel isn't enough of a sign, right? Like, does anybody else see the irony in that? That you're asking the, the angel that the angel described, yeah, I just came from being in the presence of the Lord, and now I'm here giving you this news. I could use a sign. And isn't that so true for so many of us? Has God, God has to like play a tuba in our ear to, to get our attention with his, his, his fingerprints all around us. Well, Zechariah, because of his unbelief, unlike Mary, it says that the angel struck him speechless. Speechless. I don't know uh, about you, but any extended period of time with the inability to talk is a difficult one. Well, John, I mean, Zechariah, we, we learn, went nine and a half months. So the entire pregnancy, unable to speak. We learn in the first chapter that he communicates by writing on a tablet in order to, to pass on. So nine and a half months. And then the baby, the, all of the promises come true. The baby is born. And after that, I imagine Zechariah is probably thinking like, okay, am I, can I finally talk yet? Well, it goes a whole nother eight days past the baby's birth to the circumcision ceremony where they actually announce the baby's name. And he's getting, and we read about it, it's kind of neat. There's a lot of pressure from everybody around him that's saying like, oh, you should name, you should name the baby after the dad, right? That's what you do. You name him after the father. And he's saying, nope. And he writes on his tablet. He says, nope, his name will be John. This little display of faith, trusting what the angel Gabriel had said, automatically moved God to what? Re restore his speech. So immediately in that moment when he announces that he's going to name this baby John, he's given his speech back. Now you imagine if you haven't spoken for nine and a half months, you're probably going to choose your words more wisely. Anybody think you would probably after the angel had made you uh, unable to speak? So he does. He chooses his words really wisely. And that's our song that we're going to look at. That was a lot of setup, but I wanted to give you the back story. So in verse 67, we start to see the beginning of his song. And I love it because at the end of his duties as a priest, after he lights the incense or adds to the incense, he's supposed to come out and give a benediction. Well, the first thing after nine and a half months, he says, all right, I'm just going to pick up where I was supposed to leave off in my silence. And he starts with a benediction of praise. One might say a worship song. Benediction, in fact, this, this song was actually referred to by an early Christendom as the Benedictus. And it starts like this. There's a number of things we can learn from it about worship. Verse 67 says this, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... I know I had a lot of setup to get to that one verse, but I had to pause there because I think there's an important thing as we're in this discussion about worship to recognize there. The first thing that we learn about Zechariah is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. His song started 
from the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is in this Luke uh, account of the nativity, every single time it makes reference to someone being filled with the Spirit, it then moves them to singing. It then moves them to worship. What's the conclusion from that? What do we take away from that? Because what I would suggest is that when the Spirit is alive and working in you, man, worship should just be the overflow of who we are. Should just be the overflow. It's just the natural thing that results when the Spirit's working. He moves us to worship. I'd suggest He's the key to authentic worship. A little backdrop on this where I mentioned in the Old Testament the Spirit would come and go. We know at Pentecost, the Spirit came to indwell believers to be constantly with them. So every single one of us, when we make the choice to embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells, sets up camp inside of us. But then on a day-to-day basis, we talked about this in other series that we've done, on a day-to-day basis, our decisions determine whether or not we're living in the Spirit or living in the flesh. We have a say over that. Whether or not we're operating with him in the the driver's seat or whether we're operating with the old self in the driver's seat. And those of us that have walked with the Lord for a while, you recognize that when we're operating in the flesh, man, worship is a lot less natural. It comes a lot less fluid. It's something that you actually have to work on as opposed to when you're walking in the spirit where he's guiding and directing your steps. It comes just out of the overflow of who we are. I was talking to Stephanie because I was, I was mentioning this and I was saying uh, just that, that then be the, the Holy Spirit or our worship is a wonderful barometer of the condition of our heart. The Holy, the, our worship is a wonderful, wonderful barometer of the condition of our heart. She told me this story when she was working at a workout place called Curves. I don't know if you ladies remember uh, those facilities. I think they're maybe still around, but she was uh, helping a, a new a uh, person that was coming in, go through the process of getting checked in, and they had a questionnaire. I don't know if you've ever done one of these before. One of the questions on the questionnaire, she's talking to this woman. She asked her if she'd ever had cancer before. And the woman's like, well, uh, maybe I did. I think I might have. And Stephanie is like, well, that, that's weird. Usually if you have cancer, you either know you had it or, or didn't have it. She tells, tells a story. She goes on to tell a story. She's like, well, the, the doctor's after a mammogram had assessed that I had just all these tumors and I needed to rush into immediate surgery because they were just concerned that it was going to take my life immediately. And, she, and so she was telling this to Stephanie. Stephanie's ears are perking up. And she's like, well, what happened? She goes, well, the night before the surgery, I just got on my face before God, was just crying out for him to, to heal me and restore my health. And I was like, well, this is cool. We're a fellow believer. And she's like, well, well, what happened? How did it play out? She goes, well, the next day when I went into surgery, like I, I didn't know what transpired until afterwards, all the doctors and the nurses gathered in my room to give me the good news. The good news was when they went to have surgery, when they, when they opened her up, they found no tumors, no cancer. And she was like, well, that's fantastic news. That's, that's really awesome. And the doctor asked her, she said, but do you remember anything about the surgery? She's like, uh, no, I was unconscious. I don't remember anything about the surgery. He said, because the weirdest thing happened. The entire time we were there, you were singing gospel praise music. 
The entire time in the surgery, you, you're unconscious, but you're just there singing gospel music. I was like, well, that is pretty cool. Like that, 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 that's when you know worship is overflowing out of your pores, who you are. When the Spirit is reigning and ruling in our lives as He was in Zechariah's, it just is a natural outpouring. How are we doing with our barometer of our hearts for worship? Start with that. The second one I wanted to point to in the text is this song is compelled by faith. Look at verse 68. It says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. It's a powerful little section of scripture or benediction, if you will. One of the things that I wanted to make as a first observation there is that Jesus had not been born yet, yet, if you look at Zechariah's language, he speaks about it as a past tense form, has visited and redeemed his people, has raised up a horn of salvation. He points to it. In other words, there's such confidence in the future work of Christ. In Zechariah's mind, it's as good as done already. It's as good as done already. If you think about our definition of faith, it's found in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Look at this definition. You're probably familiar with this. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. You see, this is a beautiful picture of Zechariah. Things that he was hoping for, he hasn't seen them yet, yet it compelled his worship. If you think about it, he was living in that gap between the current difficult circumstances and God's future promises. But the thing that fills that gap, and this is something that will apply to our lives, the thing that fills that gap between our present difficult circumstances and God's future promises is faith. That's the bridge that fills the gap. Trusting in what God is going to do. That should compel our worship as well. I had a conversation on Friday evening with a, a lady that's in our church, and she's actually, as we're talking about cancer this morning, she's actually in the middle of her battle with cancer. I was thinking about that. We spent a, a long time chatting and spent some time to, with the, her husband, and we spent a tear-filled time of just praying over God, healing her, not sure what God's going to do in that situation. I was thinking, you know what, that's the perfect picture of somebody that's in that season that gap season that's between difficult circumstances and God's ultimate promise. Even his ultimate promise found in Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You see, our worship should not just celebrate what God has done, it should also celebrate what he's going to do. That's when faith compels our worship. 
how are we doing in that area? We're going to do a little assessing. How are we, how's, our, how's our faith meter for the promises that God hasn't fulfilled yet, but you know he's going to? He goes through a number of different things that he's celebrating in this section, and we won't kind of camp on all of them, but I wanted to just touch on a couple of them. You think, first thing in verse 68, he points out that, that he was thrilled with the fact that God had visited. After 400 years of silence, he's like, oh, thank you, you finally showed up. And then he goes through all the things that he's anticipating that this baby will do. You can see him yourself. He's going to redeem those captive to sin in verse 68. He's going to rescue God's people from their enemies. Verse 71, he's going to show, he's going to allow us to serve without fear and holiness and righteousness. Verses 74 and 75, show mercy on us and forgive our sins. In a few more verses, 77 and 78, basically his worship was saturated with faith of what God is going to do in his life. How's our faith meter going into this Christmas season? Are you believing in what God's going to do in your life? Last thing to point out, verse 76, his song also celebrates our role in the gospel. Listen to this. I love his descriptor talking about his son. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, additional faith on display here. He's praising God with certainty of what he knows he's going to accomplish through his son John. He's no longer, you notice here, he's no longer questioning Gabriel's words. All the things that, that Gabriel had said would happen, he, he's no longer wrestling through those as if like, well, can you give me a sign? All of a sudden, he's a, a man of faith that believes in those. Thinking about that, and I, I wonder if maybe a season of silence wouldn't be helpful for all of us to stretch our faith. Maybe if we just shut up a little bit more and allowed God to work on our, our heart molding us. I, don't, I, I was thinking about a story I know I shared it a couple years ago, but I thought it's a, a great picture of this. I had a, a guy that I was sitting down with uh, just over coffee, and we had an extended conversation I was sharing a, with him about Jesus Christ and what he had done for him on the cross and went through the whole gospel message and kind of at the, the end of it was, was asking, man, is this, is this something, because I could sense from him, like God was really doing a work. I was like, is this something that you're ready to make this decision? Have you ever made that decision to embrace the work of what Jesus has done on the cross? He's like, no, he says, I, I haven't. He says, I, I feel like I, I still need to process through it a little bit more and I'm, I joked with it I'm like well be careful in traffic until you do that and uh, and uh, and so we, we were at the end of the conversation I was just trying to think through kind of how we should should leave it I said well listen his name was Keith I said Keith do me a favor I said for the next week because I knew I was going to see him again in a week so for the next week I knew he had to commute I said do me a favor and turn your radio off in your car give some silence and just ponder some of the things we've talked about here. Just, just give it some thought. And, and, I, and he's like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I said, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray that God will not leave you alone, 
that he's going to chase you down, invade your mind, and just and you won't be able to get it off, off of your heart or mind. He's like, okay, creepy pastor. And, uh, and he's like, sure, sure, we'll, we'll do it. So, so I, I did this, and we, we, we parted ways. And, and that, that week, I was just, man, just praying that God would not leave him alone, that some of those things that I knew were stirring his heart would, would not uh, let go. And so it was, I think it was, it was on a Sunday, and then on, it was either Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, I get a call from Keith, and he sounds real serious, almost panicked on the phone. He's like, he's like Scott, it's like, you got to stop praying, man. You, you, you got to stop because he won't leave me alone. Like, he won't, he won't let me get my mind off of this. It's something that just, it just keeps bouncing around, and I know I got to get this settled with God, and, and I know what he's done for me. And he's like, can we get together and, and, and pray so I can embrace Christ? I'm like, no, I'm too busy. No, but no, ser- seriously, we got together. It was just an awesome thing seeing him turn over his life to Christ. Because why? Because of a season and period of silence, the sunrise was finally able to break through. I love Zechariah recognized all of a sudden as he's, as he's uh, speaking in the spirit, he's recognizing that what, what God's going to do through John. But I love that he has an appropriate understanding of what John's role is in all of this. He says he's going to go before the Lord and prepare his way. He's going to go before the Lord and prepare his way, recognizing that John wasn't going to be the one that solved their problem. He's just going before the one who's going to solve their problem. That's a wonderful re- reminder for each one of us. We're not trying to solve somebody's problems. We're not the solution. We're just pointing people to the solution. So John obviously had learned something from his father because at one point, oh, when he was baptizing people in the wilderness, do you remember this? People were coming to him and being like, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? And, and man, I, with all these crowds gathered, he could have started thinking to himself, well, maybe I am. But instead, listen to his response. I love this. Luke 3, 16 says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I love those words. He had an appropriate understanding of what his job, his job was just to reveal their need for a Savior. And if you stop and think about it for a second, we have the exact same job today. We're given the task of giving knowledge, it says it right there in the text, to give knowledge of salvation. We reveal what's hidden to the majority of the planet. Most of the planet have no idea the predicament they're in. I shared this verse that's in this section last night in uh, Christmas Cafe in the last two, two evenings. I absolutely love it. Listen to it again. It says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's think about, think through what's being said there. Because of God's tender mercy. Jesus Christ is the sunrise to people that are otherwise stuck in darkness. Why is that such a big deal? They're stuck in darkness in the what? In the shadow of death. In the shadow of death. I don't know if you've ever watched a 
a movie or a TV show where the main character has some kind of impending danger, either they're about to get killed or there's some kind of harm coming their way, and the producer does a good job of giving you a little sneak peek of what's about to happen, and you're, you're there in front of the, the screen, and you're wanting to yell out, like, watch out, look out for the machete, look out for what, maybe you don't watch those movies, uh, look, look out, because things are about to get really bad, and if you start to think about the gospel message from that same perspective, think about it, he says, he, he's giving light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, most people don't realize that they're headed to a spiritual death. Man, that's something we should be excited to give the news. Listen, the sunrise has come. The sunrise that was intended to guide our feet to the way of peace. It's only by God's mercy that he's given that to us. That's another thing that should compel our worship. That's another thing that should, should move us to celebrate because we're the one that get to bring this message of hope. If you think about it, it's the most loving thing we can do for someone. It ends with this last verse, verse 80. It says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. If you know the story of John the Baptist, he goes on to fulfill every single thing that was promised about his life. But what I love about it is it all started with an old man's song, an old man singing, an old man that was singing a spirit-led worship, an old man that was compelled by faith, an old man that was celebrating the good news of the gospel. I would hope that those things invade our worship as well. Instead of just talking about it, and I want to invite up the worship team now, we have the opportunity to sing about this gospel, this opportunity to proclaim it to the world around us this Christmas. Let me pray as the worship team's coming up. God, thank you so much for this text this morning. Thank you for Zechariah and even seeing his journey moving from doubt to faith. My prayer and hope is that for each one of us, that we would recognize, man, even though we might be in that season or that gap in between our difficult circumstances and your faithful promises, that faith can fill that gap. God, I pray that that compels our worship, that we get excited about the opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ's birth. Thank you in Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas.